Mixed Media Gaming. Welcome back to uh, Mixed Media. We are now in the gaming section. We just concluded our uh, movie section where Irving talked about a uh, short film called No Tomorrow, Part 1, um, which is uh, interesting. So if you uh, missed that section, you should uh, go and watch it. Um, this current section will be uh, arguing, arguing with Reddit section, which, uh, as I said before, gaming section. So uh, I'll be doing that. And uh, yeah, I'll be reacting to some takes on Reddit, good or bad, uh, that I have not seen yet, except one, which I chose myself. So uh, yeah. Cool. And uh, disclaimer is I'm going to cut to it right now, and it's going to look terrible, awful. So <laughs> as Nathan's reacting, I'm going to be fixing it because <laughs> we need to get a move on. So here we go. You know, if you're on audio only, you've really been graced here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Look at this mess. <laughs> oh, OK. It's just uh, not the. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, uh, you're in the hot seat. Forehead. What'd you say? You like see my forehead, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I need a better system for uh, for switching that out every week. Um, I'll fix it eventually. Um, but yeah, here let me let I me like grab. I like how the absent is just underneath. <laughs> you can really see the inner workings of uh, how, <laughs> how this is meant to operate. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been exposed a little bit. <laughs> now this works. <laughs> So this one is from Steph, producer wife, as she's known around these parts. Uh, okay, so the title is, the gaming community would be much less toxic against developer bugs, developers bugs if they had to finish a simple Python project with deadlines before being able to have a Steam slash Epic slash whatever account. What do you call that? The description? What do you call that? I don't know, whatever. The uh, more info section of the Reddit post is, uh, this is made after Cyberpunk 2077, Stalker 2 delays, and announcements about the developers that are made by people with no understanding of project management, any project, not just game development. Edit 1. By term developers, I mean employees that write the code as people, not the studio publishing the game. And the first comment said, I'm not really sure which aspect I'm supposed to react to, but I read the first comment um, as well. No reason a game company should intentionally release a game they know doesn't work. The difficulty of making a game doesn't justify that. Delay the game if that's what it comes to, but don't release an unfinished project, product. People are paying for a functional game in increasing, oh sorry, in increasing occurrences that aren't being given that. Uh, but yes, people shouldn't blame devs, blame people responsible for releasing the game. Uh, okay, so uh, I'll address the initial part first. So uh, initial thing about, so if you don't know, Python is a programming language, so person is saying you should program something essentially uh, with a deadline before being able to <laughs> before being able to uh, play games on Steam slash Epic slash whatever you know just just saying like you know um, cut the developers some slack uh, it's harder than you think kind of thing I think this is 100% true I mean I'm not taking the title literally I assume that's not being made not being you know supposed to be taken literally but uh, in terms of do people underestimate the work that's put in yeah, I think so. Uh, I think uh, there's a term for this that I can't remember. Uh, it makes its way into philosophy a lot. It's like, it's the term referring to the knowledge of how much you know. Uh, so, for example, um, let's say you go to take a test, right? And you can say, oh, I expect to get a 80 on this test. And you actually got like a 20, right? You knew nothing about what you knew, right? That, that was the, you, 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 uh, you, 
you misjudged how much you know about specific, the given topic of the test, for example, right? So I wish I knew the term so I don't have to keep saying knowing what you know. But uh, is, it, is it epistemic think, certainty or something like that? Is that what it is? I don't uh, know. Is that what that means? <laughs> that's, that's what it sounds like. I don't know. <laughs> All right, sure that. Epistemic certainty. Uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't have a lot of that. Uh, it, well, I think it's natural, right? For any... any uh, it's also called what the, the Dunning-Kruger effect is like people overestimating how much they know about a given topic when they don't know much about it, right? So I think I think that uh, I think that goes for pretty much any topic really that is not really shallow, you know. <laughs> and uh, game dev is certainly not really shallow in programming in general. So I think a lot of people, you know, I think this, this also is a uh, I think is. It's, I think it's very prevalent when people talk about like game design choices. Like, oh well, if I made the game, what is on that? It's like, yeah, maybe that would be a good idea. But it's like, you have one hindsight, right? Two, you don't, you aren't considering the technological challenges that are required to actually get this thing to work the way you want it to work. And three, I don't know, maybe you're dumb. Maybe it's not a good idea because <laughs> like, uh, clearly, you know, it's not, it's not as simple as just being like, oh well, you know, I think it'll work. Would be nice because. And game design, there are a lot of side effects that happen when you change mechanics, add mechanics, stuff like that, and that's why you hire a game designer um, because they are uh, experienced and knowledgeable in that sort of topic. But uh, I digress. As for programming, I think it's pretty much the same thing. It it, it is, in, you know, even simple things take an incredibly long time a lot of the times in programming. Simple tasks might be tedious, they might be like, you know, it's hard to explain without. Uh, you know, without assuming that you have knowledge of programming, but uh, I'm just saying it's hard. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, essentially. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, well, how are there so many bugs in this game? It's like, did you not play test this? Like, yeah, I'm sure the Cyberpunk devs play tested it. I'm sure they saw all the bugs and they could not fix it in time. That's just that's just what it was. It's just harder than you think, probably. I, I know even me, I'm like, oh, well, I remember uh, watching a video, I think it was a floating character. I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> my brain, I'm like, I don't even know how, I've never experienced such a bug in my own game programming. I don't know how you could possibly, knowing the systems that I know with the game engines that I've used, I don't know how you get this to actually happen, right? <laughs> For it to be a common thing, you know, not like a one-off thing that happened to one person, you know, a, a fairly common thing. That being said, you know, I don't know what game engine they use. They might have used some custom in-house thing, which, okay, they're very brave for that. Um, maybe they did use an existing engine. I don't know what their code looks like. So, realistically speaking, it probably is harder than I think it is because uh, clearly they didn't fix it, right? <laughs> I, I assume they didn't just choose not to fix it if it was an easy solution. So, okay. Um, as for the, 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 the comments, which is, yeah, a person says they're saying that a, uh, someone should not release a game if it's unfinished. I had no reason to do that. That is also false, I think, or not also false. That is false. The other thing was not false. This is false. <laughs> I think it's false because uh, devs got to make money. I know it's like, oh, but they should be making money off of, you know, like half finished game. And uh, OK, sort of, maybe because depends if they promise a full game. I think I think they probably gave that impression. <laughs> they sure, certainly gave the impression the game was a lot more uh, well polished than it was. So, yeah, you can say, you know, well, they didn't deliver on their promise, whatever. This is true, right? But at the same time, you can't say there's no reason because, you know, as it comes to a point where you have to release something or the studio is going to die, right? This happens all the time in the game, game, dev game dev industry. Games get canceled mid, mid, uh, you know, mid while they're being produced because they're taking too long or whatever. And the publisher says, you know what, like, assume, you know, 
the publisher, assuming, yeah, assuming the publisher owns the development studio, they'll be like, yeah, the studio does not exist anymore. <laughs> we are uh, retiring the studio. And that really sucks, right? Uh, so, you know, you can imagine if you are in the video game industry, which is not a friendly industry at all, and you're trying to survive, you might be more inclined to rush things out and release things before you get axed, essentially. Now, this is CD Projekt Red, a studio that's probably not going to disappear. <laughs> um, based on elongating the Cyberpunk 2077 thing a bit longer. I am not aware of their financial situation, so I could be wrong, but my guess would be that they would have been fine uh, if they waited longer. Um, and it is possible that it was just like a more of a greed thing than a this is, this is necessity kind of thing. But well, with the, amount, the amount of problems that they had, how much longer? Like, it, <laughs> it might have been yeah, a whole more Yeah, it would year. definitely take, you know, yeah. it might be a thing of like, yeah. You know, the devs, you know, it's a point at which, you know, you're playing a game and you become sick of it, sort of, you know, you're working on it so, so much, right? So many hours and it's like, I just want to be done. And it's like, you can consider the, the project in a state that is unsalvageable. It's just over. Like, yeah, like, you know, you don't want to do anything else to it, release it. But at least I shouldn't have said, you know, hey, uh, guys, uh, look at this trailer. There's not a single bug in this trailer. You know, this is the representative of the gameplay, stuff like that. But also, Shame on the people who bought the game for buying it based on a trailer that was so bad in terms of, like, no gameplay, to be clear. <laughs> Very minimal gameplay. No, like, half people, or 90% of people who bought the game had no idea what it was about, pretty much, right? Had vague ideas of, oh, it's open world, something, 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 right? But uh, no idea of, like, you know, the gameplay loop. And maybe you could guess based on, you know, The Witcher or other open world titles. But at the end of the day, I didn't really know. And, uh, you know, I was unimpressed with the uh, gameplay loop, so yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say for uh, this one. Cool. Now to the next one. Uh, here's the next one. It's titled "Nostalgia is no longer a selling point." Is that yours, Ben? Or yeah, that's for me. All right. Do you want to read it? Sure. Uh, Nostalgia is no longer a selling point. To put in uh, stars here. Just an opinion, of course. Uh, I think maybe it's just me, but does anyone else think that nostalgia features such as pixel art or low poly are no longer a selling point when it comes to making games? How do we capture the player's sense of nostalgia for making games other than the art styles I mentioned above? Mm. Um, and the responses uh, to that, you know, some, some of the comments, um, People saying that that, uh, that those things don't even don't even have to do with nostalgia, um, and also people saying that the, the the answer is just overall aesthetics of something, and that you know those things aren't aren't, aren't really part of the nostalgia movement and aren't going to sell games. Yeah. So when before you even finished, uh, my my thought was I didn't even know there was a nostalgia thing, <laughs> pixel art and low poly um, design. Um, and then I thought, maybe it's just because, you know, I, I didn't I didn't grow up in an era where pixel art was the the, the main thing due to technological limitations and low poly as well. It's so like maybe it's that, but the low poly of old and the low poly of now look very different. Low poly now tends to also be coupled with flat texturing. I mean, like solid colors. I think of like Unturned, for example, uh, that game or Ravenfield. That kind of stuff where you know there are little to no little to no texturing uh, texturing is just solid color right 
Whereas in olden times, if you look at like Wolfenstein or, well, that's a poor example, <laughs> not because, well, because that is not quite what, what is being talked about by low poly. But uh, um, I'll say earlier Tomb Raiders, for example, there is textural detail. It's not great for sure, <laughs> but it exists in some sense. So, you know, even if you were to try to connect low poly to nostalgia, I don't think that would make much sense because it doesn't even, the modern low poly doesn't look the same. Uh, I just think of low poly as usually a thing to do when you're either you're good at that art style and so you do that, right? Or you're not good at art at all. <laughs> so you try to pick up something and uh, low poly just happened, you know, not knocking on low poly art styles, that's fine. I'm just saying uh, it is perhaps easier than uh, other, other, you know, more uh, high fidelity stuff. Uh, same with pixel art, same same sort of thing. Because uh, pixel art, model pixel art, modern pixel art doesn't look the same, right? Because you know, a lot of people say like, oh, this game is a 16-bit art style. It's like, no, it is not, not literally. <laughs> uh, because the modern quote-unquote 16-bit art style uses a wider color, color palette, uses essentially an infinite color palette relative to the old 16-bit color palettes, which I'm pretty sure 16-bit refers to specifically the color palette and uh, how many colors there are uh, available on a, on a specific device that you're displaying stuff on. Um, whereas nowadays, that's not really something you usually worry about. And as well with pixel art, if you ever played a game like, uh, what's it called, Noida or Noida? I don't know how to pronounce it. One or the other, I'll say Noida. Uh, oh, I think that's wrong. I think I, li I just like it better. <laughs> but uh, for uh, Noida, um, yeah, they have a, you know, the thing is about the game is every pixel is simulated and I'm not gonna get into what that means, but if you look at it, it looks different because if I'm playing a game like Celeste, which is, which is a pixel art style, on my uh, you know desktop monitor, that's like let's say 1080p monitor. One pixel in Celeste does not correspond to one pixel on my screen. No, one square in Celeste, right? Because uh, it's not true. It's not true like 16-bit. Like because if you're back in 16-bit, you actually have that in pixels, right? So you wouldn't have a smooth gradient between pixels sliding across the screen. It would be more blocky, and transitions would be. Uh, it's hard to explain without like showing it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, things would be less smooth, all that stuff like that, right? So yeah, I don't think that the modern pixel art or low poly stuff that he's talking about, which is very common, I don't think any of that has to do with nostalgia at all. Um, and you know, when you finish the the, the comments and you uh, read the first the first reply or whatever, uh, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not alone here. I'm not, I'm not just uh, too young to understand <laughs> or something. Um, and uh, yeah, but as for nostalgia being a selling point, selling point, regardless of pixel art or not or whatever, I don't, I mean, I feel like if you're nostalgic about something, I figure you buy the thing you're nostalgic about and not the thing that's kind of like it. I don't know. I, I, I never, I, it's also, I feel like is a partly because maybe uh, I also, you know, haven't grown up in that era, but like, and I don't have much to be nostalgic about because I'm not that old, I guess. So I, it's hard for me to—it's hard for me to relate to this kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I wouldn't—I I would, I would figure, I would guess that you would just—you just buy the thing <laughs> you're nostalgic about. Mm -hmm. I've been nostalgic about like browser games, for example. I used to play those uh, a lot you know, back in the day. I never think, oh, is a browser game like this browser game? This feels nostalgic. No, nah, I just <laughs> only with the old stuff <laughs> that I originally played with. But, yeah. It's interesting though, because I know we've mentioned the recently announced uh, remake of Knights of the Old Republic or something like that. You know, 
which is clearly trying to play on nostalgia and like you know, making the the original master original masterpiece better with modern whatever they're gonna do. Gonna, I don't know because I don't play video games really, but I do think that there's probably some element of just like in films, you have to keep you know remaking the the same same story kind of thing. There probably is some of that, and maybe not to the same extent. And I'm sure it exists to some degree in video games. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about like, remakes and stuff like that. Yeah, that probably uh, plays a lot better to nostalgia than the separate game. It's probably like some in between between you know like the original and uh, a separate concept. It's weird because I feel like I can have nostalgia for things I've never experienced. Like a lot of '80s aesthetic, I don't know, appeals to me for one reason or another, um, depending on the aesthetic. It's just kind of strange because, like, I feel it as if it's nostalgia, but I'd never experienced that, ob- obviously, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, last hot take. Let's see. Uh, let's see. It says, oh, yeah, this one. This one uh, is interesting because I picked it because it's interesting. I didn't actually know. I don't remember what I picked. I just remember I, <laughs> I, just remember I did, wasn't uh, entirely sure what I thought about it. So, I guess we'll figure it out. Uh, it says, do you think that all mistakes that all the mistakes AAA developers are making in the recent feature? Sorry, I missed a word. That messed me up. Sorry. <laughs> Do you think with all the mistakes AAA developers are making in the recent recent years that we as indie devs have an opportunity to be more successful as people given as people give up on mainstream? Part of me says we will, while other part says that or thinks that the mainstream people will buy whatever is available to them, and that will never change. Uh, and then the first reply is, don't care what people say, care what they do. Sure, they criticize AAA games a lot, but they still buy them. And the next comment, which I thought was interesting, is the problem of indie games has always been discoverability. I don't see that changing anytime soon, especially as more and more games are released every single day, 30 plus games a day. So your game quickly ends up being drowned in a sea of a thousand other titles. Okay. So uh, yeah, this is a... Um, it's interesting because this relates to Steam Profit in some sense because it's about feature predicting, uh, and that is very hard to do. <laughs> so, um, I am—I have no certain answer for sure. I'm not like, you know, one way or the other for sure. I believe it'll be like that, but I—I hmm, am inclined to think that triple A developers will suffer in some sense due to two things, one of which I guess is being referred to in this thing. So the one that's being referred to, okay, well, one that's not being referred to, I think I'll explain first, is uh, sort of uh, just scale and the fact that, uh, you know, you're taking a big risk when you make a large game, when you make a large game, the video game industry does not pay off particularly well. So if it fails, it's very bad <laughs> and games do fail and as i said before studios shut down because of these kind of things at alarming rates so there's that whereas the indie game developer does not do that uh i i think i taught yeah i had a um i did a uh, segment on this before on short form games i think uh, yeah i pretty sure i did that <laughs> uh regardless my opinion on those is, is that it's a good thing to have uh because a lot less risk involved and you make games cheaper and more accessible whatever whatever and probably got a deal but unfortunately yeah i did talk about it for now uh, we have the steam rules and stuff like that of like return policies and oh your game must be at least this long or whatever it causes people to make 
you know, games of absurd hours <laughs> length based on uh, what they what they should be doing based on their uh, resources. So uh, there's that. Second thing that was related, uh, IIS, yes, mistakes. So I think, you know, once again, I'm not old enough to have grown up with the start of game dev, you know, into, you know, whatever. Um, so I can't comment on, you know, a lot of people say, well, gaming was better, you know, triple A devs were better in the olden times. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't play those games. I couldn't tell you, but I can, I can figure that they were certainly less apparent when they did make when they didn't make mistakes because there were no indie indie game devs of the time. Uh, it was not as easy to just pick up pick up a, you know your computer and start coding. There was no you know Unity engine and stuff like that. Unreal Engine you can just you know there's no Blender you know for uh, 3D modeling stuff like that. Uh, it's all free, uh, right? It, it, yeah, it wasn't that you know computers weren't as accessible stuff like that. It wouldn't it wasn't uh, that easy. So I, I can I can I would guess that mistakes were at, are at least more apparent now because you can compare them to every indie game and their mother who's making a game, right? Right now, and you're like, oh, well, this game did this thing better, whatever, right? Whereas in the olden times, you had no reference. So you, it was hard to tell if there's a mistake there. As well, the whole thing was newer. So, you know, I would guess that things have actually gone, you know, wild guess. I'm not sure, of course, because I haven't experienced it. But I would actually guess that things are better now or in the recent past than they were back in the day because, you know, Yes, game design has been a thing for a very, very long time because games are not new, it's video games that are new specifically, right? But being able to take advantage of the fact that your game is on a computer, that's, that that whole field is new, right? And so you have a bunch of unexperienced people who come from a tradition, probably a traditional you know, game design standpoint, not a video game design standpoint, uh, entering the early video game market. And I would figure that because they're inexperienced, they just don't make, as, don't make games as well, right? Um, they don't leverage the technology enough. They also had less technology to leverage at the same time. So I would figure uh, that games have, are, you know, in general better now. Um, but once again, sort of a wild guess because I, I haven't experienced old games. So I also yeah, make the argument, think... I'm sure, that the fundamentals are better from uh, those who did not have like the plethora of tools or something like that. So it can go anyway, you know, anyway. Yeah, I think that too. You. Um... Yeah, you, you, people like, I think it's a good idea to take video game design and treat it, you can treat a lot of it as just generic game design and not think about the video aspect. I think there's a strength in doing that. You eliminate a lot of this fluff and garbage essentially, and you can get down to the core of the game um, pretty much. Maybe I'll do a, an episode about that later, but um yeah, you get rid of a lot of the, the extra stuff. That being said, the extra stuff is kind of what makes a video, oh, a lot of things are not possible, not feasible in the non-computer format, right? And so, okay, here's an example. So just to clarify, there's a GDC talk I watched a while ago. Unfortunately, I can't remember this dude's name. It's an old GDC talk though. GDC talk, though. It, was a, it was a good one. And he described uh, uh, this idea of breaking down games into very simple ideas that are not actually video game concepts, but just generic game concepts. So let's take a, uh, a, a say of a, a set of you know, cards, for example, right? You have a deck of cards and you are given an option. You, you know, someone gives you a few cards face down, you can't see what they are, and gives them to you and says, pick whatever one you want, right? You flip one over, you decide whether you want to keep it or not, right? 
If you don't want to keep it, you can put it back and pick up a new one. It's just based on whether you like the number or not, right? It's all arbitrary. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, you're keeping it for whatever reason. And you're putting it back if you don't like it, right? And you just keep doing the system, being dealt random cards. Now, you say, oh, this is not, this doesn't seem fun, right? It's like, you're keeping a card because you like it. What's the goal of the game? Well, it's essentially life of life is strange, right? Which, bad game, but it doesn't have to be bad. <laughs> uh, that's just that's just the writing's problem. But essentially, that is essentially a life is strange, where you pick from a bunch of dialogue options. You pick the one you like the best, essentially. If you don't like your choice, you can rewind because that is the uh, sort of the gimmick of the game is that you can go back to previous choices and you can pick a new choice that branches off somewhere else, right? That is reducing your game to the most fundamental is a pick one game, essentially, is what you might call it, right? You just pick something. And if you like it, you like it, you keep going. If you don't like it, you re-roll, I guess, or whatever. So that is the kind of thing that is, I guess, what is missing a lot, right? A lot of people don't think that way. And when you think that way, you can forget about a lot of a lot of the stuff that, you know, uh, you, you, you can, it, det- it detaches you from thinking about things in such like a like a high level way, away from what they actually are. When you think about the things that are actually are, it's easy to create a derivative of it, for example. If you want to create a derivative of Life is Strange, you could you could think about it in a high level way like that and think, okay, how do I make something that's like Life is Strange but different? Or you can think about it like that card game and make it different, right? Now there's two ways of approaching it. Um, I don't know if one's necessarily better than the other way, but it's certainly useful to have that tool, essentially. So yeah, I guess you could say um, that yeah, uh, people who started in the game dev industry, or the video game dev industry specifically, uh, the video game designers were not really video game designers, they were just game designers, generic game designers at the time, and so uh, they would probably be more inclined to have these sort of skills and create, uh, uh, essentially, you know, birthing, you know, every game concept that we have nowadays pretty much uh, from them, which is from just generic games. So yeah, yeah, that was a whole tangent, but yes, I guess I guess you could say that developers back then might have been better. Yeah, once again, well, I guess I don't know. Okay, so the first comment on the thing you said, uh, don't care what people say, care what they do. Um, you know, it's just that people might criticize AAA games a lot, but they still buy them anyways. And yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It's like Cyberpunk 2077. It's like, dude, everyone's had, like, not everyone, I guess, but Dude, just stop pre-ordering games. Stop. I don't know, man. Sorry, sorry, don't stop. Stop if you really do not know what the game is about. <laughs> it was like, I don't know. It's like Battlefield, for example, right? Battlefield has upset people so many times on pre-order. People still pre-order it every single time, and it boggles my mind. It's like, I don't know. It's like, see, so you say exactly what this guy's saying. So you criticize it, right? And you just buy it anyways the next time, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, uh, so bizarre to me. It's like, especially pre-ordering, it's like, I understand pre-ordering as a way of, of support in this industry, given that you know this industry is very volatile and stuff like that. And having that initial payment boost is very nice, um, right before your release, right? But this is dice. Dice will survive <laughs> for sure. Uh, it's not you know some other studio, some other large studio who may or may not vanish, whatever. I am fairly certain dice is going to be around for the at least for the you know at least because they have Frost, Frostbite engine, which. I am fairly certain nobody knows nobody else knows how to use. That's my guess, <laughs> uh, but uh, I could be wrong. So, yeah, stuff like that. It's like I don't know, man. Maybe it's like a one group of people saying like don't pre-order, another group another group pre-ordering. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, maybe we're all, all on the same page here. So maybe the people who are buying the AAA games are not the same people who are criticizing them. I don't actually know. Certainly, 
it's certainly something. <laughs> um, but I, I, despite this, I think that the criticism eventually must erode the success of AAA devs because there's so many options outside of uh, AAA. There's so many indie devs, as the second comment alludes to, which essentially just says, discoverability is hard because there's so many people who are out there, you know, whatever. And, okay, I mean, if you open up Steam, yeah, there'll be a lot of AAA games, but there'll also be a lot of indie games that you'll see. And it's like, well, they got discovered, right? So, somewhat. So, I don't think discoverability is dead for indie devs. It's so much worse, for sure. <laughs> it is exponentially worse, but uh, they still have their... It's still possible, and I think it will likely grow as people figure out how to market better. Cool, cool. Alright, that's it for the hot takes. <laughs> Gonna hop into yep. Ben's segment now. Oh, also, uh, thanks for watching Arguing with Reddit. <laughs> Should close out, close out the section. Uh, if you haven't checked out our other podcast, go check it out. What are you doing? Stop staying and listening to this and uh, go find another podcast to listen to. <laughs> <laughs>